This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. When you are in an office, are you able to work at peak performance each and every minute? Probably not. So how do you improve the, your process in order to optimize your work? Global leadership expert Hans Hagemann believes that having a better understanding of our brains is one way to be able to better optimize our abilities. He lays out these ideas in a book that he co-wrote with neuropsychologist Friedrich Fabritius called The Leading Brain, Powerful Science-Based Strategies for Achieving Peak Performance. And Hans joins us on the show right now. Welcome, sir. Hi, Dan. Here's Hans. Thank you. Great to have you with us today. Uh, Thank you. You talk about this level of frenzy that many of us are feeling right now. Uh, I personally think I go through it at times. Uh, it, it, to a degree, though, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, it does feel almost like it's become a cultural issue and one that a lot of people have a hard time turning around. Well, I mean, this is all about the regulating emotions topic that we describe in our book. And many people don't get along with regulating their emotions. They try to inhibit there are some bad emotions coming up and they feel like uh, angry or something like this. And then they, they try to inhibit what's going on. They try to talk to themselves and say, hey, this is not so bad. I have to get along with it. And I think there are better strategies nowadays to get rid of this, this kind of inhibition, which is always bad because two systems in your brain are competing. And that's not a good thing. It's more the emotional system. It's competing against the rational system. And that leads to not being focused on anything anymore. So we, we recommend two strategies. The one thing is labeling. You can say, hey, I am angry right now and speak about it. Just say it. This, just, this one sentence helps you to overcome these bad feelings. And then you gain back um, cognitive control about what you are doing there. And that's very important. And that's probably an easy and maybe even the best strategy that you can do. So what is it about, about the brain and brain science that, that you find that makes this so very important right now? Well, this is the first time that we, that we have the technical equipment that we can see what is happening in the brain. When I started my studies, it was 30 years ago, in 86 or something, and we didn't have the opportunity to look inside of the brain. We had no, no clue about what would really happen in the brain. Right. And now what we can do is we have all these technical equipment and all the software and all the instruments to really literally see what is happening in the brain. And this gives, gives us much more information about how our brain functions, how it works, and what we can do in specific situations. And being a leadership expert, I'm dealing so much with, uh, high, with top executives and high potentials. And what we are doing is we are always seeing these people trying to get more out of their, their system trying to get a better performance. This is what it's all about nowadays. So but it's not about reaching better performance by trying harder, it's right. by trying smarter. That's what, the point. What is then, specifically in the leadership area, what is peak performance? Uh, peak performance means that you find the environment that gets you in a position and in a situation where you really can perform at your best. And if we talk about peak performance, we are not talking about stressful situations where you get the best out of you, like we know it from sports, where your muscles must be active all over the place. Right. But we are talking about an easygoing situation where you feel that everything is easy for you to do. 
And everyone knows these situations. And of course, the, the, the best possible situations in this context is experiencing flow where everything seems to go very smoothly and you are very creative and everything is, is coming to your mind easily. And that's what we are understanding by peak performance. We don't have the, the idea of a stressed out top performer. Uh, who goes to sleep totally exhausted in the evening. This is totally not what we want to achieve. And uh, in our book, we describe many strategies, what you can do to learn better, what you can do to regulate your emotions, mm -hmm. what you can do to better work with teams and uh, even use your intuition much better. Well, the, the, the part you just mentioned there about working with teams is, is something that a lot of companies sees uh, as a very important component. And it's why more companies when they are looking to hire people, obviously that you go through the, the normal process, but they also want to make sure that a person is a good fit. So there is a little bit of a shift going on by some of these companies already, understanding that this has to be a key component. Absolutely. There's a massive shift going on. And companies nowadays start to understand that many of the things that uh, create highest performance are genetically determined. And this is something, it's kind of an inconvenient truth because the HR department say, well, uh, we, don't, we, we don't think so. We think that everyone can reach everything. And, but this is definitely not true, if we want to hear it or not. There's more and more evidence in the genetic research that certain things are uh, genetically determined. Now, here's the good news. As soon as we understand to react strength-oriented, if we, if we take the effort to find out what are the individual strengths of people, and then discover these strengths, and then create the environment and the team fit uh, according to the task that you have to solve with your teams, distribute the tasks in a way that you hit the strengths of these people. And then, com and then you have to, of course, combine all these wonderful people. Yeah. And here we are at the topic of diversity. Find those people that you need, that all of these people have a certain role within the team. And then make clear who has which role, and then it works. It's the strength orientation that makes all the difference. We're talking with uh, Hans Hagemann, uh, who is a co-author of the book, The Leading Brain. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. A couple of pieces that, that you write about in the book I wanted to get into first is something which so many people have to deal with right now, uh, whether that be in the managerial level or uh, in other parts of companies, is multitasking. And yeah. it's it's almost become a given, I think, that it's, it's something that's almost expected of people to be able to do when they come to work for a company. Yeah, that's totally true. And the truth is there is no such thing like multitasking. If people understand multitasking, as doing two things at the same time, which require cognitive capacity. This is simply a myth. This is not possible to do it at the same time. Right, right. Of course, you can do two things. One that you do with your automated system. We call it the limbic system. This is the neuroscientific expression for it. It's more the emotional system. Remember when you learn to drive a car uh, and the, the instructor told you, now take the next left then, of course, the sweat came all over you and you were thinking about, oh, my God, what do I have to do right now? Now I have to push this pedal and I have to steer the car and I have to set the blinker. And, and all these <laughs> things are cognitive. You have this cognitive awareness about it. But then now, if you drive a car now, what you do is you simply sit in the car and then you go right away. And while you are driving the car, 
it's your unconscious system that takes over. So it's not that you have to pay attention to which pedal to push or which 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 button to to push. This is not uh, cognitive or cognitively aware, but it, it functions automatically. You are working on autopilot, and this it, it's your limbic system that does the job because after a while, everything that gets a habit goes into the limbic system. Now, while you are driving, of course, you can listen to the radio. You can listen to Sirius XM, for example. Yes, and sir. To what we are talking about, and it's not it's not a big deal to listen to it. You get interesting information and you can completely focus on what's going on while your automatic system drives the car. If you understand this by multitasking, this is fine. This works. But not if you have two, two cognitive tasks. If you would, let's say, um, write an email at the same time. Don't do that while you are driving, of course. Right, yes. <clears throat> but if you listen to the radio and you write an email at the same time, this would be what many people would say is multitasking. It absolutely does not work uh, at the same time. It's not working simultaneously. There's lots of research around it. Plus, you have to switch between the tasks. People who do that at the same time, they switch within milliseconds back and forth between these tasks. And while they are doing so, they are losing time. They are not better. They are less efficient. So then why is it then there is that expectation of having to multitask when you're at, when you're in the uh, in the workplace, and how do you how do we what do we need to do? I guess I should say it, to to try and eliminate that. Well, first of all, we have to accept that it is simply wrong. It's not right to say multitasking is a top thing to do, and it's totally not attractive to try to achieve it because it's simply not working. However, there might be some kind of corporate heroes who pretend they can do it, and maybe there's kind of a fame going on and a myth going on about these great people mm -hmm. and everybody wants to be like them and they might be role models. However, we can prove, <laughs> if we measure what's really going on, we definitely can prove in every single case that this is not possible. And even there's another myth that uh, women are better in multitasking than men. Also, this doesn't work at all. This is, this is totally not true. And it stems from some kind of stupid research, I must say. <laughs> uh, because if you, let's imagine, if you, try, if you, I'm not stereotyping here, but this is a, a funny story anyway. If you think that, that, that the wife has ironed all, the, all life long, yeah. she's of course an expert in ironing. And uh, in the same example that I had with car driving, it also goes for, for the ironing. And of course, while she's ironing, she can be on the phone and can do things. Now, if you, maybe as a man has never done that, uh, of course you need your cognitive resources for ironing. You will totally burn your shirt if you try to be on the phone and ironing as well. And there's some research about these things which compares men and women, and it doesn't make any sense. Well, you talk a little bit about how, how uh, gender and age actually can kind of be an impact here on, on, on what you refer to as like a performance profile. That's true. Uh, gender and age can, can make a difference. It's not about the height of the peak performance. It's not that it determines the height of the peak performance. But gender and age play a role when it comes to how much arousal do you need in order to reach your peak performance. And here's the thing, and that is very, very interesting. And only few people know this. When we work in business, we are always totally surprised how much impact this has on teams. Um, everyone needs a certain, a certain portion of arousal, as we call it, in order to create peak performance. You can imagine this 
uh, if you think you are in a very deep sleep, probably you won't create high performance. That's simply not possible. If you are in a coma, that would be the very left of this axis. You, you can't perform good. And at the same time, if you take the right side of this axis, if you are panicking, that is too much of arousal. The concept of arousal means it's the vegetative nervous system, the autonomic nervous system. It's the arousal. So the interesting thing is that we all have a certain point on this axis. If you imagine this as an axis from a deep sleep to a panic attack, somewhere there's the point where you are able to reach cognitive peak performance. Right. And this is different for all of us. That's the interesting news. We have some people who are, we call them uh, sensation seekers, who are very much to the right. They need a lot of arousal in order to create high performance. Those are the people who are uh, sitting there and they should write a report and it's the day before and they still are not excited enough to, to create peak performance because they say, ah, it's so boring if I start right now. I will start in the evening. I need the time pressure. And then the, the, the more the time goes by, the better they are in their peak performance. Mm. That means very often they are running on testosterone. And, uh, and that's a male thing, by the way. Very often you have these sensation seekers uh, being male uh, people. And the reason is uh, women are much more on serotonin, which determines also your position on this arousal axis. And if you would take uh, male, female and male persons and you would take hundreds of thousands of them, you would see two peaks in your distribution. Mm -hmm. Males would be more to the left, which is pretty good. And of course, has a reason, an evolutionary reason. Hans Hegeman uh, is the co-author of the book, The Leading Brain. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Or if you can't get to the phone, you can send us a comment via Twitter, either at BizRadio111 or my Twitter account, which is at DanLoney21. Why is it that you think that there are situations where people in the office, some of them are, are just geared to be able to handle all kinds of of stressful situations that are thrown at them. And then there are people that, that are just not able to handle that. And I guess off of that, how do companies recognize that early earlier to be able to have the right people in those positions? Well, that's a very, very interesting thing. And we have this uh, in teams very often. And it's what you describe is very often this myth of being a hero, a corporate hero. You can work under high stress, no matter what the challenge is, you will solve it. This is something that companies are, are, are absolutely promoting in a way. They are advertising it. They say, hey, this is, this is where the heat is, then, then everything is good. But to be honest, and that goes again back to this axis which I just described, we also need those people who are to the left of this axis. Imagine you have a surgery, a heart surgery. Would you like to have somebody being the surgeon who says, oh, this is so boring, this is my 500th uh, surgery, and I put you the other way around on this table, and I will have blindfolds when I do the surgery because I need to be activated enough? Or would you say, no, you want to have somebody who is to the left of this axis, who only needs very little kind of arousal, and then is very sensitive to all kind of distractions and disturbances that might occur. So you want to have somebody who says, wait a minute, 
um, I want to have a signal if something goes wrong. Here's a very sensitive machine. I put it on your on your skin, and then and, and then we will measure what is going on. Mm-hmm. And as soon as I have the weakest signal that something goes wrong, I'll be there. I'll be alerted. And that is something that you want to have. You talk about something is something in the book uh, called imposter syndrome. What is that, and, and how does that play in here? The imposter syndrome is something that came up over the last two or three years very, very, very heavily. And we have found that very much in uh, big service companies, okay. in, big, in, in big consulting firms, for example, where everybody expects highest performance from you. And then you have these people who, who, who bring up these highest performance. And after a while, everybody says, wow, you are such a high performer. You are such a great person. And all of a sudden, many of these people start thinking about, am I really that good? What if somebody discovers that I'm normal? What if somebody discovers that I'm only a human being? I'm like everyone else. I don't know why they hide me so much, but they can't confess it. And doing so, you have this imposter syndrome where people feel very, very, um, how would you say that? They, they, they have they are not conscious of really being great performers, but they say, well, this is kind of, I'm an imposter. Right. I'm not really that great. And that creates a situation which is, well, we, we coach a lot of these people, and, and sometimes you think, wow, this is, they only have a very, very low self-consciousness. The book, very, very, yeah. the, as you say, the book is Le- The Leading Brain by Hans Hagemann. Your comments welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. We go to Houston, Texas. Chris is on the line. Chris, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you guys? Good. Go ahead. Hi, Chris. Hey, my, question, my question is, is talk about sensation and arousal. And my question was, how do you differentiate that with procrastination, and how do you measure that on an individual basis? Um, there is The interesting thing is there is no objective measurement about it. What you can do, there are some scales that are available, so you can measure it on, on the scale, but it's kind of a subjective impression that you have. And how we use it is we work with teams, we sit together, everyone gives everyone feedback, and then they find out, ah, where are we on this scale? And if you want to use one of these scales, it's a state trait anxiety index. If you put that in Google, you will find it, and it's free. You can download it. It's pretty pretty good, but it still is very subjective. And the proof in the pudding is if the team discusses that, it's so important that you get that 360 kind of feedback from everyone, and you have your own estimation about, ah, this would be my position on that axis, but the others give you a feedback as well. And we found out... Once the whole team has determined, aha, this is the this is our lineup, if you want so on this axis, it's pretty valid what you see them there. And what's the name of that again? Uh, it's the State Trade Anxiety Index. If you type it in like this, State Trade Anxiety Index, you will you will find the right scale. Great. It's Twenty questions, and you have to. It's, well, it's uh, 20, 20 statements that you have to cross. Chris, thanks very much for the call. 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. Uh, Hans Hagemann is our guest. The book is The Leading Brain. Again, 844-942-7866 is the number to give us a call. How much of this, and for a lot of people that are listening to us right now, thinking about uh, you know neuroscience as a component 
to their success is not something that they normally do on a day-to-day basis. So how do you correlate that for, uh, you know, the majority of people that, that are working in companies across the U.S.? And as I said, don't necessarily think about this all the time. Yeah, that's a very, very good question because that that brings us to the point, why did we try to do this connection? Right. And uh, what we what we found out is, uh, that the basic thing are these two circles that you have. You have a threat circle and you have a reward circle in companies. Mm-hmm. And what we can, or every individual has this, uh, the reward circle is something, if it is triggered, you are kind of in a threat state. And the threat state you are in is totally different, totally different functions that you have. Your bodily systems are different. You get a, you get a, a rush of cortisol in your bloodstream. And that makes your muscles stronger, but it can even cut off your cognitive thinking if it is strong enough. But even in weak situations, there's too much too much uh, threat in companies. We found out that whenever you reduce the threat, and threat can be easily done by things which you don't have under control. If you said t- say to your employee, hey, I expect a great thing tomorrow, that can threaten him to death. You don't know this. If right. he is on this axis way to the left, he will totally be threatened by that. Uh, and the other thing is the reward circle. It's totally different. And we found out that creating a climate of appreciation in companies is the best thing you can do. And this is very strongly supported by the research that Google did recently. They have uh, finished their Aristotle project, which ran over four years. And they wanted to find out what, what are the factors that drive highest performance in teams, so they had more than 200 teams, which they observed over a period of four years. Mm-hmm. And they were literally desperate because they said, hey, wait a minute, we don't find anything. And and if, if a company really knows how to deal with data, it's Google probably. Right. So they literally collaborate. Uh, they, they, they try to make a connection with everything. And then in the end, there's one thing that determines highest performance, and that is psychological safety. If the team knows we are psychologically safe, which is, in our terms, the reward cycle, which is the climate of appreciation, which is the climate of being respected and being accepted, if that is given, there's a high predictability for high performance in that team. We've got about a minute left, but I wanted to ask you uh, before we let you go, is, is that with this kind of philosophy and this thought, a kind of thought process uh, by people in the corporate culture, how do you think this is going to change businesses, companies a, as we move forward? It will totally change companies. And you can see that already now. All the major corporations, we are working for top 500 companies around the globe, right. and they are desperately thinking about changing the corporate culture. And what I personally am doing, I'm very often in the Silicon Valley. I'm in touch with lots of startups, and I'm looking, how do these people treat each other? And you will find cultures which are so different from all these big corporations that we have, with all these hierarchies, with all these uh, decision-making processes, which are overloaded and too complex. All these things must change, and we are working heavily to do that. And I think the book gives a lot of ideas how you can start that cultural change. Great to have you, Hans. Thank you very much for giving us your time today. Thank you very much, Dan. It was a pleasure to me. Thank you. Hans Hagerman, the, the book is The Leading Brain, Powerful Science-Based Strategies for Achieving Peak Performance. Uh, his co-author, Friedrich Fabridius, uh, joining us on the show uh, here on Sirius XM 111. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu.